0: get this set up here. All right. So we're gonna, we're gonna finish 1 John this morning. I'm not gonna talk that much about 1 John uh, like we did last week. I gave a pretty, a pretty thorough overview last week of the major themes. We're gonna do a few things. I was talking to, I have like three semi-related things I wanna talk about. And so I was, this morning I was like, you know, this is gonna be more of like a collage and then, and then uh, Thomas walks in this morning in his tux. And goes, hey, what's hey, what's, what's with the tux? He goes, well, I'm singing in the Christmas collage. So this is the collage morning, I guess. We're all collage over here. Um, so the three things I want to talk about are the last verse of 1 John. Very last verse. It's pretty easy. It says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Interesting way to wrap up the book. Um, but the second thing I want to talk about is, that, is this week as the first week of Advent. And then the third thing I want to talk about is this week as the week where we are doing our annual fast. And I think all of these three things converging is what I want to talk about. And this is where God has us. Okay. Um, so 1 John 5.21 you don't really have to open. I just, I just stated it. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. It's a strange way to end the book um, because he's been talking about God and, and Jesus in the flesh and the love of God and fulfilling his commands and all that. Um, and you have to wonder why all of a sudden he brings in the scripture. Um, what does this have to do with idolatry? And if you think about it long enough, you'll realize that it has everything to do with idolatry. Idolatry is probably the biggest enemy of the people of God all through scripture. I mean, if you go through and you look at the role idolatry plays in the Old Testament with the people of Israel, you'll discover the enemy it is the thing that time and time again... It's what, it, what, it's what got them thrown into exile. It's what exposed them to uh, their enemies. It's what drew their hearts away. It's what broke the heart of God. And so... The idols in the Old Testament are much more than just um, the deities worshipped by the pagan nations, the images that they had up around in their... Religious sites and their shrines and everything, um, because the idea of the of the idea of idolatry and what it does, it's how insidious it is, uh, goes much deeper than just the religious artifacts associated with idols. Um, when we get into the New Testament, idolatry is still there. When Paul does one of his signature lists of Bad things. Right? You know what I'm talking about. Here's a list of bad things. In the last days, people are going to be like this, 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 and this. Idolatry is always on there. And he also adds a lot. He adds this little phrase. Idolatry, or he says, covetousness, which is idolatry. And so in the New Testament, yes, they're dealing with religious shrines and, and pagan deities, but idolatry is being fleshed out more. Uh, it, and it has much more to do with the desires of man than it does with any particular deity or, or image or figure. Okay, If you just go through the Ten Commandments, you will have no other god besides me. You will not make your, for yourself a graven image. Okay, So it's a big deal. So here in 1 John, he says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. What's one of the... What, I mean, last week we talked about the three big points in 1 John. Do you remember those? Number one. And this is the big, the incarnation. That Jesus, the Son of God, became flesh. Number two, living free from sin. What that means. Number three, loving one another. Or what love is, really. And how we love each other in relationship. So... As he closes the book by saying, little children, keep yourselves from idols. We really have to think about what that means. I mean, that's what he chooses to end end with. So here's a little description of idolatry. This is from Adam Clark, who's who's an old Wesleyan commentator. I use this because it's like in the public domain and it's free and you can just Google it. (laughs) Um, A man's idol or God is that from which he seeks happiness. No matter whether it be Jupiter, Juno, Apollo, Minerva, Venus, or Diana, or pleasure, wealth, fame, a fine house, superb furniture, splendid equipage. (laughs) How many of you like splendid equipage? Gear, tech, whatever it is. Yeah, Ben likes splendid equipage. This equipage is splendid. (laughs) Um, Medals, curiosities, books. That's, that one hits me. Titles, human friendships. Or any earthly or heavenly thing, God, the supreme good, only accept it. Any earthly or heavenly thing, God, the supreme good, only accept it. A man's idol is that which prevents him from seeking and finding his all in God. So, little children, keep yourselves from idols. What does that mean? God became flesh. We know who he is. In the world, which is one of the big things that John talks about a lot, the world, how the world works. In the world, what's the world full of? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. That's what's in the world. That's what idolatry is. That's where idolatry works. The things that look good to us. The things that we think make us look good. Those are idols. And they keep us from coming into that life that Jesus came to make manifest. So, idolatry really is the, is the big thrust of, of the book of 1 John. Because how does he open up? He says, "...that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, it's alive." Nobody made it. It was from the beginning. It's not made in human, by human hands. It's the life, and it, and it was made manifest. And we have seen it and testified to it that, and proclaimed to you the eternal life. All right? So, idolatry. So, that brings us to, this is the first week of Advent. Advent. The Advent traditionally is a season of anticipation and fasting, which is why I'm glad we're kind of fasting as a part of Advent. But this particular week in the Advent cycle, there's four weeks. We're not going to do the candles where we light the wreath, but this week, you know, you know what an Advent wreath looks like, right? Those of you who are at LCF, we've done that from time to time. But an Advent wreath is four candles with one candle in the middle, and you do want you light. One, the first week. Two, the second week. Three, the third week. And it's to, to symbolize the, the, the growing light as Jesus becomes, as Jesus gets closer, the, the incarnation gets closer, the light grows. And so the first week of Advent is the, pro, the, the prophetic anticipation. So we read scriptures about in the prophets where it was prophesying the coming of Christ. That's the first light. And then it goes on to shepherds and angels and wise men. And all of these proclaim the coming of Christ into the world, and the light gets brighter and brighter as you go. It's a beautiful thing. It's, it's fun to do. Um, but this week the, is the week of the prophetic anticipation for Christ. All of the Old Testament, we've, we've gone through all of it in the past couple years, it all points to the coming of Christ in the flesh. The things that John is saying have now happened. All of Scripture was pointing to. All of history was was pointing to. You could say the same thing in reverse about the New Testament. Now that he has come, everything points back to that fact. In the same way that everything was, was pointing toward Christ in the Old Testament. Everything in the New Testament points back to that historical fact that God took on flesh and came into the world, became a man, lived a life, was crucified, dead, buried, resurrection, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And so idolatry now is anything that would come and try and, and replace that fact in our lives. That that is the fact of existence. That is the important truth in our lives. The the prophets also continually did battle against the temptation to idolatry. Okay, where the people of God, their hearts started going astray to the idols of the nations around them. It was the prophets that came and said, no, Yahweh alone is God. There is no other God. It was a constant battle. And a major part of the prophetic message was calling people back to faithfulness to the one true God, the God who brought them out of Egypt, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They equated, in the prophets, they they equate idolatry with adultery and prostitution. Why? Because of the way it destroys the relationship that God desired with his people. Now think about this in the context of 1 John and John 17. What did Jesus come to do to reveal the relationship that he had with the Father to us and to welcome us into that relationship? That's always been what God desired. With Adam, he desired it. With Moses, he desired it. With Noah, he desired it. With Abraham, he desired it. God wants to walk with mankind in the way that he lives life with his son. And that's always what he's been after. And so idolatry came in all through the Old Testament and destroyed that relationship. And God said, that's adultery. That's prostitution. You don't understand. This is a relationship that I'm after. This isn't a religious system. I long to be with my people. I am jealous for them. This is the same truth. When John says, little children, keep yourselves from idols, he's saying, look at what has happened. God has taken on flesh and he has revealed what life really is. And as long as you are taking pleasure from the things of the world, as long as you are distracted away from the fact of the incarnation, as as long as you are... As long as your devotion to that and to Jesus is diminished by your desires for other things, you're in idolatry. You're in bondage to an idol. And so that brings us to the fast. And this is what I want to encourage us to consider um, during the fast. And so usually during the fast, the first day, um, you you, you start with yourself, you and God. What are the things that God is telling me? How does the truth of the incarnation need to be made more real in my life? How does Jesus Christ need to come and, and, and pull me out of the world? Are there idols in my life? So the first day, you, maybe day and a half, maybe you have to spend all three days just contemplating the life that Jesus came to reveal and the things in your life that prevent you from experiencing that in its fullness. The thing that Jesus was talking about and praying about in John 17, the thing that John is going round and round and round about in first John. Every person here, every person in this church, that is the most important thing in your life. Understanding what John is trying to say in these books. Everything else comes from that, right? All godly living, all how to raise your kids, all how to love your friends, all how to be married, all this stuff. It all comes back to who God is and what the eternal life is like. So as we, as we prepare to fast, I want to call us to, number one, examine and ask God to examine our life for where our desires have led us into idolatry. I mean, John is talking to a people who believe in the name of the Son of God, right? He says in in 5.13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. They, They believe. And this is why he writes, that you may know that you have eternal life. I'm writing to you so you would have the assurance of salvation? Not quite. I'm writing to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, So that you could grasp that in the name of the Son of God is all you need. There's nothing outside of that 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 can bring life to you. You have, in that, you have eternal life. Do you see how that's different from so that you would know that you're going to go to heaven when you die? I'm I'm writing to you so that you would know what it is that you possess. This is like, you know, in the Antiques Roadshow. They bring all this junk. Sometimes they bring this thing and people had no idea. Well, was sitting in their basement. It's worth millions of dollars. I don't know. Um, that's what it's like. Hey, I'm writing to y'all. you all. You have this message. You know these things. You have to realize what it is, that is that's inside of you. It's eternal life. And the thing that prevents you from realizing that your belief in the Son of God is your source of eternal life, the things that prevent you from realizing that fully are idolatry, desires okay and so this is what this is what I want to call us to do do you can you really explain not explain in a, in a eloquent way but do you realize that as you believe in the name of the Son of God as you believe in the name of the Son of God that you know you have eternal life that you are convinced that that is what life is all about that's sounds simple But it's a radical shift that happens in your heart. It's a totally different way of viewing reality. You become re-centered from me and myself and kind of what, what life with me as the reference point to the father and son as the reference point. And me as this privileged child who's being added into this for some reason, what manner of love is this? so that now I can live the very life that the Son of God was always meant to live. We are in a great place to spend this time and this season trying to grab hold of what it is that we have. <laughs> I don't, you know, I, I'm confident that you all believe in the name of the Son of God. But I think we need to spend some more time realizing what that actually means. And that's something that only God can do by the Holy Spirit. When we detach ourselves from those things that distract us from realizing that. When we deprive our desires of worldly things so that we can allow the fullness of that truth to just wash over us. And we go, oh my goodness. And all the desires then, they just turn to crumbs. And you just go, oh my goodness. We have eternal life. Each person needs to have a revelation of Jesus as the Son of God. Um, so let's listen, listen to this. This is from, uh, this is from Andrew Murray with Christ in the School of Prayer. and it's his chapter on, on prayer and fasting. Um, and I've, I think I've mentioned some of this to maybe my home group. Um, it's a longer quote. I'll just read this. Prayer is the one hand with which we grasp the invisible, fasting the other, with which we let loose and cast away the visible. In nothing is man more closely connected with the world of sense than in his need of food and his enjoyment of it. It was the fruit, good for food, which, well, with which man was tempted and fell in paradise. It was with bread to be made of stones that Jesus, when hungry, was tempted in the wilderness." And in fasting, that he triumphed. The body has been redeemed to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. It is in body as well as spirit. It is very specially, Scripture says, in eating and drinking, that we are to glorify God. It is to be feared that there are many Christians to whom this eating to the glory of God has not yet become a spiritual reality. And the first thought suggested by Jesus' words in regard to fasting and prayer, he's referring to when... The disciples are trying to cast out a demon, and Jesus says, No, this one only comes out by fasting and prayer. Um, Is that only in a life of moderation and temperance and self denial that there will be the heart or the strength to pray much? Okay, so here's what he's saying Why do you need to pray? Because you need to grab hold of truth, like John is saying. Why do you need to fast? so that you can let go of those things that get in the way of you praying and grabbing hold of truth. It takes strength. We have to press through. And sometimes, if we're full of food and fasting, we're just not going to have the strength of the heart to, to push through and grasp the eternal. But then there is also its more literal meaning. Sorrow and anxiety cannot eat. Joy celebrates its feasts with eating and drinking. There may come times of intense desire when it is strongly felt how the body, with its appetites, lawful though they be, still hinder the spirit in its battle with the powers of darkness, and the need is felt of keeping it under. We are creatures of the senses. Our mind is helped by what comes to us embodied in concrete form. This is interesting. and he sa- So he says, fasting helps to express, to deepen, and to confirm... The resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything. To sacrifice ourselves. To attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. And he who accepted the fasting and sacrifice of the son. Knows to value and accept. the reward, And reward with spiritual power. The soul that is thus ready to give up all for Christ and his kingdom. So what's, here he's saying. Our minds are helped when there's like some concrete thing that we can sort of think about to help us visualize and, and, and make tangible what's in our minds. Our minds say, I seek first the kingdom of God. I want, yeah, I'll sacrifice anything. When we fast, it makes that real. It's not, it's not some special spiritual achievement. It just helps our mind really grasp what it is that, that we're actually saying. And then follows a still wider application. Prayer is the reaching out after God and the unseen, fasting the letting go of all that is seen and temporal. While ordinary Christians imagine that all that is not positively forbidden and sinful is lawful to them, and seek to retain as much of and seek to re- retain as much as, as possible of this world with its property, its literature, its enjoyments, the truly consecrated soul is as the soldier who carries only what he needs for the warfare, laying aside every weight, as well as the easily besetting sin, afraid of entangling himself with the affairs of life. He seeks to lead a Nazarite life, that's from the Old Testament, the Nazarite vow, as one specially set apart for the Lord in his service. Without such voluntary separation even from what is lawful no one will attain power in prayer. So here's what he's saying. There's a point at which prayer needs an extra boost. Right? How are we to grasp who Jesus is? How are we to really come into line with the eternal life that has been made manifest among us? By praying by contemplating it, what helps prayer just go to the next level? It's fasting. Because we can pray, 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 but there's still some of us that's just attached to the world. If we sever that, our prayer becomes untethered. And we, and we can, with deeper and, and greater strength, understand and know that, that in Jesus we have eternal life. So when we see Jesus and we believe in him, this is what First John really comes down to. When we see Jesus, believe in him, confess the Son, we have life. And what that looks like then is we forsake the world, the love of the world. We love the world to lay our life down, just like Jesus did, but we forsake the love of the world, the desires that keep us in bondage. We stop sinning. We stop doing things that hurt and damage our relationship with God and our relationship with others. And we obey the commandments of God positively. We love him with our whole heart and we love our neighbor as ourselves. All of that comes down to the extent to which you understand Jesus Christ in the flesh. It all boils down to that. How do you understand that? By prayer. What's the best way to pray? By fasting. You see that? So this is is my my exhortation for us as we head into the fast. What's at stake is your understanding, your depth of understanding of the eternal life that God has given you. And your... So, so... And that might include some very specific applications for you. But what I want to call us to is, is to each grab a hold of the life of the Son of God that was made manifest. Um, I want to finish, and, and we will come to communion, which is the greatest act of anti-idolatry that we can partake, that we can do. Um... the the body and blood of Jesus, take that into us, the living one who was broken and poured out. So we're going to cast down some idols up here, but I want to just read chapter 5 of 1 John. With all of what I just said in mind, I want to read 1 John, let that speak for itself, and have that kind of be our call to communion. And then we'll just finish, and then we will head on into our week of uh, of fasting, our our week of of prophetic um, revelation. In the, in the Advent season. Uh, okay. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You're not going to overcome those desires unless it's by believing in the Son of God, fully recognizing who he is. has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. This is the testimony. God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone, and here's great three great we knows to close the, the book, okay? We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know, now listen to this. And this is, this is the verse that I want us to, to really chew on during the fast. We know, pun intended, right? And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son he is the true God and eternal life little children keep yourselves from idols he is the true God and eternal life don't look for it anywhere else don't Fine. Don't look for happiness, eternity, fulfillment. Don't look for that anywhere else. Keep yourselves from idols. You are not of the world, he says. We are from God, not from the world. All those desires are from the world, and they're just all passing away. Okay? So, we are fasting to forsake to deny ourselves access to the fulfillment of those desires by worldly means. Now God gave us food and He wants He wants us to eat to His glory. To learn how to do that we have to deny ourselves. Um, So I'll I'll just say this before we come up and take communion. Decide in the next few days how you're going to fast and tell somebody in your home group about it. Everyone has to do it a little differently, I think. Um, Some people are going all three days without, just just with water. Some people go with juice, or they have just vegetables, or you know whatever your diet requires. Be smart. Don't you know? Don't be don't be dumb. Talk to your doctor if you have any concerns. Um, Obviously, nursing mothers, pregnant mothers, you got to do what you got to do. But do deny yourself. Think of the desire. Think of all right. These are the. The desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, and the things that I think make me look good, the pride of life. Think about how to deny ourselves those things. Um, I would say that, you know, you should pull out of entertainment for three days. You should probably just shut down down social media or or whatever it is that you kind of enjoy. At the very least, do that. You know, if you can't go food all three days, at least... To, you know, detach from digital stuff um, so that you can just allow the truth of God to, to not get distracted at every, at every turn I think that in our generation that's, that's one of the biggest enemies of the kind of true contemplation that John is calling us to the son of God came so that you would understand that's, an, that's a, a part of the mind and there are forces at work with lots of money and lots of resources, that their number one goal is to get as much of your attention as they can. And they're smarter than you. And they know how to do it. Okay? And they're really good at it. And you've given them a lot of your attention. Deny them that. Deny everything your attention that you can during these three days. Really fast. And uh, I, if you do that, not, not as a legalistic thing, You know, it's not like it makes you... Some sort of all-star Christian. But I'm saying, if you do that, you're going to see things about God that you never knew were there. Um, scriptures that you've known your whole life will just explode over these three days with, with meaning and truth and with application. I remember probably four years ago, uh, during the fast, it was kind of dry, and I was like, why do we do this? This is stupid. And I was so focused on the, the letting go of the visible. Um, I wasn't really focused on the grasping the the invisible and uh, that was more than four years ago this was the first fast after I was married Man, that's been a long time Um, nine years yeah anyway I was sitting there I was reading in John actually and all of a sudden where Jesus was talking to Peter he says do you love me feed my sheep do you love me feed my sheep I've read that many times and those three times that I read it, it was like this hammer on, on me. And I was like, I just started trembling, and I didn't know what was happening. And it was like, how can I say I love God if I'm not feeding his sheep? And I was like, oh, man. And I still felt terrible, and I still was really hungry, but I've never been the same since then. Right? And I wasn't even fasting well. <laughs> so I was failing fasting. So expect God to, to come and talk to you. Give him as many opportunities to do that as you can. And I'm really looking forward to, to our time. Um, we still need to take communion. I need to say one more thing. So the, the lineup of, of meetings this week, and I would encourage you to be at, be at as many as you can. Thursday night, we're out at JCF. I sent out an email, but I just want to Make sure, because some people don't read their email. Thursday night, we're out at JCF at 7 o'clock with all four churches. So we're going to kind of kick off with all four churches. Friday night, your home group leader will tell you what's going on. Um, Home groups are just going to meet in in smaller groups and pray together. And then Saturday night, we're going to meet as a church, um, but over at Park United Methodist Church in the little chapel outside of the sanctuary. LCF's not meeting there that night, so that was just a, a place we could all meet. Um, and we're just going to wor- worship and pray and take communion together as a, as a way of breaking the fast together. Um, and then Sunday morning, we're not going to be here. We're going to be out at JCF worshiping with all four churches. Um, so this is a very exciting week. This is like I'm more excited about this week than I am about Christmas. Um, this is going to be awesome. There are gifts under the tree. We need to go unwrap them and, and see what God has for us. Amen. Amen. All right. Speaking of gifts, let's uh, let's let's pray for this. Father, thank you that you did take on flesh and that you allowed your flesh to be broken, and you allowed your blood to be poured out, and you um, did not withhold even your own life and your own uh, integrity and uh, dignity to show us your love, God. Thank you that you have poured yourself out and that you've invited us into the life that you share with the Father. And so, Lord, as we as we partake of this bread and this cup, I pray that you would minister your life, your very life to us. That heading into the fast, Lord, you would give us a hunger, a, a gnawing hunger for the very life of God, uh, for, the, for the Son of God that is within us. Lord, that, that we would hunger and desire you this week May you increase that uh, and soak it to a white pot, Lord. We want to know you. We want to see you. We want to realize who it is that you are. And we want your life, your eternal life, to come and just transform us, uh, Father. So we thank you for this. Pray that you bless it. Uh, minister this to us as, as your church. In Jesus' name. Amen. Pray for a little bit by yourself and.